0: creation I sing praise to go
1: City Church, y'all. Um, I guess you can stand and sing with us or not. It does. Uh, yeah, stand this and is and just sing. the introduction yeah. song, but you might as well since I said it already. <laughs> <laughs> All That's right, so new. let's try that again. Oh, the Lord, our sing song. The highest praise to Him belongs. Christ. The The storms of hell pursue, in darkest night we worship. mighty warrior praise the Lord the glorious one by his hand we stand in victory by his name we overcome the Lord shall reign for Shall ring forever and ever the Lord. Shall ring forever and ever the Lord. Shall ring forever and ever the Lord. Shall ring. his head, we stand in victory, by his name, we overcome. Good morning, morning,
2: everyone. It's so good to see you. My name's Jay. I'm the director of worship here at City Church, and uh, yeah, it's a joy to be able to gather together and worship God together, and thank you for joining us on the prelude. That's cool, singing with us. Uh, we're going to begin our call to worship, or our time together with a call to worship from Psalm 86. Uh, listen to these words. This is Psalm 86, verses 8 through 10. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone our god let's pray oh god i pray the words of david in first chronicles 29 as we begin our service blessed are you o lord the god of israel our father forever and ever yours o lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours yours is the kingdom o lord And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and we praise your glorious name. Meet us here this morning. Be with us. Help us experience your presence. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's continue singing together. sing together.
3: Oh Lord my God. When I am all someone, consider all the world's ideas I've made. I see the stars. Of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, My God, how great! Great
2: Thou art. First John one eight and nine tells us if we ha- say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In humility and faith, let us spend a few moments reflecting on our past week, perhaps this weekend, maybe even to this morning confessing our sins to God silently. And in a moment, I'll lead us through a corporate prayer of confession. So let's take a moment now and go to the Lord. Would you join me? Let's read this prayer of confession together. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been, Help us amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Receive these words of assurance from Micah 7. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. We're going to continue singing, but let's continue receiving words of assurance as we sing His mercy is more. Let's sing together. Praise
1: the Lord His mercy is more Stronger than dark All knowing He counts not, there's some thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Darkness through every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is born. What patience would wait as we constantly roam? What Father, so tender, is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. They are many, His mercy is more. He lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. me Always hunger for can be seated.
4: Good morning. Welcome to City Church. My name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here. We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community, walking with God in our city. It is really great to see you guys. Um, We have unusually encouraging announcements this morning, so get ready for it. I'm going to save the best for last. Um, Number one, we would love to get to know you. And you can do that in a few ways. Number one, you can come chat with me after the service. Any of our staff, we would love to get to know you, have a conversation with you. We will linger up in this area. Please come say hello. You can also fill out a connection card. We put paper connection cards in your bulletin um, that you get when you walk in. So you could open um, your bulletin up, fill that out, and just put it in the seat pocket in front of you. We'll pick those up after the service. Uh, you can also fill a connection card out on your phone. If you go to citychurchgnv.com/connection, connection, there's an online card that you can fill out. Just pull it up on your phone, fill it out real quickly. And we're mainly looking for prayer requests. We pray for you each week, and we take that very seriously as a staff. I cannot emphasize how seriously we take this. Uh, so please consider filling out a connection card, and we'll pray for you. And you can also use that card to ask us questions about our church, who we are. Um, if you want to meet with a pastor, staff member, you indicate that there. So that's um, a resource that you have access to. We worship a generous God, part of our responsive worship as the people of God is giving generously. You can give online citychurchgmv.com give, or there's a brown box in the back of the sanctuary, and that's available for you as well. Our community groups are gradually gearing up. Uh, community groups are groups of people that meet every week um, to talk about the sermon series that we're moving through as a church, basically, how do we apply what we're preaching through um, to the rhythms of everyday life, work, uh, relationships, parenting, worship, all of that. Um, We pray together, we have a meal together, um, we serve our city together, we support missionaries together, all of that. We do a lot as community groups. These are kind of the relational backbone of our church. We strongly encourage everyone in our church family to be a part of one if they can. They meet on various nights during the week. Two of them at least have already resumed after a four or five week break and then the rest are about to resume in the next two or three weeks. So if you're not connected to one of those groups, this would be a great time to get connected, indicate something on your connection card, uh, find me after the service. There's also gonna be some hospitality people at our hospitality table in the back with an iPad. Uh, They can show you different things about the groups when they meet, get you connected with leaders. So that's available after the service as well and we would encourage you to check that out. Um, we are having, potentially, depending on uh, demand. We kind of every so once in a while, every month or so in the life of the church, every six eight weeks, uh, we do a baptism celebration, and we just kind of schedule it and we tell people, hey, if this is a step of obedience that you're ready to take, we would love to have you participate. And then if we don't get anyone that time, then we just wait till the next one. And then so here and there, we will have baptisms in the life of our church. So potentially next Sunday. If you're hearing this and you're thinking, you know what, I want to be baptized, I want to learn more about what that is, let us know, and then um, you can participate. It's not too late. We could do, we do the baptism after the, the, um, are we doing it between services? We're doing it after the second service. After the second service, and we do it outside, you'll see kind of across the street. It's pretty great. Um, So let us know if you're interested. You could chat with a pastor about it, and um, that would be this coming Sunday. Here's the announcement that I told you was going to be super great. We are hosting next Sunday, Ebby uh, and Esther. And you might be you might be wondering to yourself, who are Ebby and Esther? Why should I care? Ebby and Esther are missionaries. Our church supports. We financially support three missionary partners. Ebby and Esther are one of those partners. They also have two uh, teenage sons, uh, Ronnie and Ricky. Uh, they are from India. They are doing missionary work in India with Reach Global, which is the missionary arm of our denomination. It's the missionary agency that our denomination runs and operates, bringing the good news of Jesus, people who haven't heard it, all around the world. Abby and Esther are currently in the United States right now, though. They are specifically in Chicago, and they are both doing doctoral degrees at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Um, Abby just finished his, actually defended his dissertation, and Abby, uh, Esther is working on hers and will be finishing in due course, and eventually they'll go back to India. In the meantime, they are doing all kinds of wonderful ministry things through Zoom. One of the blessings of the pandemic is it actually opened up a lot of ways for them to continue doing ministry in India through Zoom. Um, so they're doing that. They're doing, they're doing quite a lot, as you will see. So they're going to be here next Sunday. We would typically be doing a missionary spotlight next Sunday and just praying for them and showing their picture, but they will be here in person. They are flying here from Chicago. We'll do a little interview with them. Evie is going to be preaching next Sunday. Uh, Their story is encouraging, to say the least, and incredibly challenging. They're doing ministry in some very hard places. Um, They've seen miraculous things happen. As far as encouragement and conviction in the Lord, we're pretty much putting our best foot forward next week. I know this is redundant. I know that most of you have never missed a Sunday in the history of your time here at City Church, so I know I don't even have to say this. But you should really be here next week to hear from them, to be encouraged. Um, It's life-changing kind of stuff. And when they do come, I hope that you will not only come, but you will greet them warmly. And we'll have a little uh, light lunch after the second service for those of you that want to have more one-on-one time with them. So that's next Sunday, Abby and Esther. It's going to be pretty darn amazing to be there. All right, we do have a different sort of spotlight this week, though. We are going to talk to Jay Hand, who does a lot of things. He wears a lot of hats. He is our worship director, as you can tell. Uh, He is also helping us launch um, a youth ministry. And I want to be clear here. We've always intended to minister to youth in the life of our church. It's not like, you know, we've gone eight years and we're just now deciding, hey, we should really care about the youth in our church. But we're taking a more formal step forward in that direction to have more of a, a, a formal youth ministry Jay is leading this charge, but as you're going to see, we're going to need a lot of help um, making this possible. Jay, can you tell us more about what exactly are we doing here? What's the, what's the vision for it? And we'll go from there.
2: Yeah. So the mission and vision of the youth ministry really is just in line with the vision and mission of City Church. So if you're familiar, our mission is to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ, and our vision is to be an authentic community walking with God in our city, and so that correlates to how we do ministry with youth. And so to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ, we see that as um, coming alongside parents who are the primary disciple makers of their children, providing support, encouragement, resourcing, and even supplementing that disciple making process. And so the youth ministry We care for the parents, but we also have volunteers, or the the goal is to have volunteers, who invest in the lives of the children of these parents. Um, And it kind of is gonna be in a cohort type of structure, where we have small groups meeting regularly, studying the Bible together, and men and women, older men and women who are investing in younger men and women, right? Uh, Adults investing in students. Uh, and then as well as caring for the parents of those students and helping them as they are charged by God to be the, di- the main disciple makers of their kids.
4: How does this intersect? So at City Church, we like to say that we're a holistic church in the sense that we care spiritually, physically, and emotionally uh, for our city, for, the, for our neighbors. How is that relevant to the way that we are thinking about youth ministry here at City Church?
2: Yeah, so... What's, what's kind of neat is we've already started some efforts in youth ministry even before formalizing a youth ministry within our church. If you're familiar, we partner with Aquin Jones, which is an alternative school here in town, and we provide a mentoring program for them. And one, kind of our vision of our youth ministry is to connect those two things, where we're caring for children, for students on the margins in places like Aquin Jones, but we're also caring for students inside who are currently a part of our church. And we would love to see even those students out in our community that wouldn't be a part of our church kind of come into the life of our church through these different avenues um, and see their families yeah. as well.
4: So basically what's going on here is our youth ministry is not just for our church. It's for our city. Yeah. That makes sense. And um, we've been caring for youth, especially as Jay has mentioned um, youth in our city for a long time, especially youth who um, academically there's been challenges. We've been uh, mentoring and doing all kinds of intentional things. Our hope is that the youth in our church can kind of share that vision and help with that in some capacity mm-hmm. and be engaged in our city. And then, you know, Lord willing, uh, some of these youth that we've been ministering to, mentoring in the past, would even become part of life of our church. If not, the Lord bless it anyway. Uh, we're going to keep on serving and, and loving these students, but it's also a wonderful opportunity to maybe see them become part of our church family along with their parents and guardians and so forth. Who who needs to help with this other than you? Question. <laughs>
2: uh, right now, well, so we have, currently we have about a dozen students in our church. You may not realize it, but they do exist and they're a part of the life of the church. And so we've this last year we've been doing, uh, actually Scott Stinson, if you know him, and I, have been working together to care for those students in small ways this last year, kind of ramping up to this coming year. But we want to have more volunteers involved and create structure and space for more kids to be a part of what's going on. And so if you're interested in helping and in investing and mentoring these students, indicate it on your connection card. Come find me. Email me at uh, j at citychurchgnv.com. Um, We are looking for, just at this moment, just a couple men or women, preferably both, um, to help invest in the lives of these kids. Uh, We do, like I said, a bi-weekly Bible study that will start in August, uh, and then once a month, we will have kind of a larger group type of event, whether it's a social event or a day of service together where we're doing stuff in the community as a youth ministry. But once a month... We'll gather those cohorts, so to speak, and work together and serve together and, and uh, get to know one another. So we'll also need help with that as well. So if you're not wanting to necessarily or you can't invest in a biweekly Bible study, there's other ways that you can definitely help as well.
4: And our hope is that these volunteers would be invested in these youth in an ongoing way. So not just, yep. here's a weekly event. We're going to come to this thing. But you would actually interact with the youth beyond these bi-weekly studies, and the monthly hangouts, that you would actually be an ongoing part of their lives. Yep,
2: we think it's important in youth ministry to have not only parents who are investing in their kids with gospel truths, but they're seeing it from other adults in their community who are also investing in them as well.
4: Yeah, we believe that kids and youth flourish spiritually the most when the entire church family rallies around them and invests in them and doesn't just Mm -hmm. leave that uh, to the parents or yep. their guardians,
2: and and to be clear, this we're we're talking about the age group sixth entering sixth grade yep. through twelfth grade yep. is what we're kind of uh, dividing out the youth ministry as. Just to be clear,
4: yes, yeah. So please indicate interest on your connection card. You can chat with us after the service. Uh, you can be praying that the Lord would really use this and bless us. Last thing I'll say is we haven't named this yet, so <laughs> yep. there's a lot of possibilities. We could go. Uh, with the 90s, we thought about we could do like Surge, <laughs> something like that.
2: Something with a we, Z instead of an S at right. the end. Or an, an X, could, a big X. Yeah,
4: we could do that. We could go with a very ironic name. We could not name it. I mean, there's so many things so we many could do here. So we would love to engage conversationally with all of you. You can indicate you. that on your connection yeah, so card. you can indicate that on your connection card. <laughs> We're going to get more cards than we've ever received. Because I know, I know you have opinions about this. Yeah. Um, so.
2: One last thing. If you're interested in what this next year is going to look like, when those things are going to be happening, I have a sheet, we have a sheet on the welcome table that basically has the academic year already spelled out for all the events that the youth are going to do and when they are. So if you're interested, be sure to check that out.
4: Ryan's going to come up and uh, bring the word for us. And as he does that, let me pray for Jay and over this effort. And Thank you, Jay, for uh, sharing with us. Lord, we do admit that in order for us to do any effective ministry to youth, we need um, you. We need to rely and lean into you and we need your spirit to work in power. And we don't just want to have something and, and have some programs. We we want this to be spirit brought, miraculous kind of ministry where uh people come to know Jesus and, and youth that maybe already know Christ would would grow by leaps and bounds. And um there's a lot of negativity I think right now concerning lot of cynicism in our day right now concerning youth and the church, but we know that you can punch right through all of that and do a marvelous work among us. So we ask for that, pray that volunteers would step up, uh, and we pray we come up with a really good name. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
5: There we go. We were uh, texting, joking this week about uh, Jay shaving his beard and just having a soul patch, you know, to be a youth pastor. So, I don't know, we need to do some kind of fundraiser, like create an incentive for that. Uh, Hey, I'm Ryan, uh, one of the pastors here. Great to get to preach this morning and worship with you. Uh, We are continuing through our series in the book of Nehemiah, we've done Ezra and Nehemiah, we're getting close to the end of the series, so we're going to look at chapters 7 and 8 this morning, we're really just going to read chapters 8, I'll highlight 7 briefly in the introduction, Um, but we're going to read 8, the last verse of 7 and the remainder of 8, and you can follow along if you've got a Bible with you, you can follow along up on the screen here, and we're going to do something a little bit different, we're going to mix this up, if you guys could stand, if you're able to stand, could you stand for the reading of God's word, you'll see why in this passage. It happens in this passage, so I'm going to do that. Okay, Nehemiah 7, uh, verse 73. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And beside him stood Mattthah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Masa, Masa, sorry, Masaya on his right hand, and Padayah, Mishael, Makijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Mishulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped before the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Yamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, and Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hana, Eliah and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all the towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths, for from the days of Jeshua the son of Nun to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of getting to open this and hear from you. We pray, give us hearts that are receptive, that are teachable. Help us to see, help us to understand by the power of your spirit alone, illumine this word and give us faith to trust you. We love you, we praise you, and we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. You guys can be seated. Well, as an admitted uh, lover of organization, I always, putting, I always love putting together some good system. Uh, Some personal favorites of mine include a cleanly organized to-do list, uh, a freshly crafted spreadsheet, or best of all, a tidied up email inbox, which is a really rare feat. (laughs) Uh, But as much as I enjoy systems and organization and all that, I recognize that they have their limitations. Not everything can be fixed with a spreadsheet, right? Uh, Structures are great and helpful. Parameters are useful. Buildings are nice. But if all you have is structures and parameters and containers, and you don't have anything to fill them with, they lose their luster pretty quickly. Take, for example, a plate. It could be the most perfect, most beautiful, most well-designed piece of dinnerware there has ever been, the world has ever seen, right? But if you had no food to put on it, it would not ultimately have much value to you. A plate is meant to be filled with food. A glass exists to be filled with water. A house exists to be filled with people. A church exists to be filled with God's people. In fact, it's, it's the filling of the structure that really brings the life. Isn't that true? Like when you go around you look at buying a home, you imagine how you're going to fill that home. And then when you move in, you start to fill it, not just with furniture and clothes and dishware, but you fill it with laughter. And with songs, with conversation, with prayer, with the aroma of a pot roast, and the warmth of a fireplace. Or for us Floridians, the cool breeze of air conditioning. God made the world to be filled. He structured it and ordered it, and then He filled it. He made it to be filled with living things, to be filled with His people, to be filled with worship. Ultimately to be filled with his presence. In Nehemiah 7, the chapter before this one that we just read, Nehemiah hands over responsibility of the city of Jerusalem to others. And after they finished building the wall here, he then turns his attention to repopulating the city. And it says he takes note that the, the walls were complete, but none of the houses had been rebuilt yet. So it's just a big open city with a bunch of walls. And so he turns, presumably he turns his attention to that. But then in chapter 8, we see the same theme, but from a different angle. In this passage, we get an example of people who are seeking after God. They've, They've returned from the exile, and their experience there largely has cured them of their tendency towards idolatry, right? They have returned, and they yearn for God. They're seeking him. They they want not only their city and their land restored, but they want it filled with the presence of God, with the truth of God, with fervent devotion to God. They're seeking to fill their lives and to fill their community with God, as it were. And one thing this passage shows us by example is that if we want to build our lives upon and have our lives filled with God, there are some essential rhythms that we need to do. And this morning we're going to focus on just a couple of those. It's not meant to be exhaustive. There are lots of other ones. Uh, But there are two really important practices that we see here in this passage we're going to focus on this morning. Two practices to have lives filled with the presence of God, and those are worshiping and remembering. Worshiping and remembering. So the first here, the importance of worship. Uh, In the beginning of the seventh month, it says that all the people here gathered in Jerusalem. So the seventh month uh, in in the Jewish calendar incorporated some of the biggest religious and national holidays. It was the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Booths, and then after the the Feast of Booths, which was a week-long celebration, they had another uh, sacred assembly. And so it's sort of like if you packed New Year's Day and Easter and Thanksgiving was a whole week long, and you put all of that together into the same month for us, that would be like our seventh month, or their seventh month. So it says the people came together at the very beginning in this large assembly, and they did so with one mind, with one purpose, and that was to worship. Now what's interesting is they're gathering here for the Feast of Trumpets, the, the festival that was celebrated on the very first day of the seventh month. And in Leviticus 23, where we get the instructions about this festival, these are the details that the Lord gives to Moses. He says, Speak to the people of Israel, saying in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord that's it and there's a similar passage in numbers that talks about the same details but with more information about the sacrifices that were to be offered so at the feast this one day feast at the beginning of the month they were to gather they were to blow trumpets which kind of signified the end of this agricultural year and the beginning of a new one and then they were to make offerings to the lord and then they were to rest take a break don't do any work just rest but did you notice what they do here it's a little bit different. It says that when they were gathering together, they told Ezra, the priest, to bring the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So there's like, hey preacher, come and preach to us. Come give us a sermon here. And the the feast did not have to include a reading from the Pentateuch. Nowhere in the instructions in Leviticus or Numbers does it make mention of needing to have this reading from the from the Pentateuch, but the people wanted it. They wanted it. They wanted to hear God's word. And so he, he brought the word, and they built this platform in one of the city's main squares, and Ezra stood up on the stage with all the leaders of the community there, and he read the law. He just opened the law of Moses and started reading. And he read it for hours, for hours, from the morning, the very first thing in the morning, until midday at some point. He read through the law. And you notice how the people respond. And you guys think, you know, our sermons are long. They spent a whole day there. Uh, but you notice how the people responded. They were they were engaged, they they were they were listening attentively, they were responsive. They're, you know, Ezra is, is blessing the Lord, and they're saying, Amen, and amen. You know, there's call and response here. They were uh, They were falling down on their face before the Lord in worship. They were earnest. They wanted to understand. The the Levites were going out into the crowd and explaining the passage as it was being read so that the people could understand. They were engaged. They were hungry for God. They were engaged with all their minds, with all their hearts, with all their bodies. I think one of the things that we see here is that if we want to live lives that are full of the presence of God, that are filled with the truth of God, that are shaped by the reality of God, we need to worship regularly. We need to worship regularly. You know, we live in a world of ideas, ideas about what is good and bad, what is right and wrong, what's valuable and what's not valuable, what's helpful and what's not helpful, the right paradigms to view things through and all of that. And every day, we get absolutely bombarded by those things. We get overwhelmed by those things thousands of times a day. Media, conversations with friends, whatever whatever we're watching, whatever we're listening to. We're driving in the car, we're seeing the, the billboards, we're listening to the radio. Over and over and over again, we are getting bombarded with ideas, value statements, truth claims about what is important and what's not. And as Christians, we believe in such a thing as truth. We believe that God is true and that he has revealed himself generally in creation and specifically in in his word and specifically through Jesus Christ incarnate. And in a chaotic world, what we need more than anything regularly is to hear from God. We need to hear from God, which is why corporate worship is so important. And hey, you guys are here. This is great. You might be thinking like, hey, I'm here. It's the people who aren't here who need to hear this, but, but we, we, live in a, you know, it, we live in a transient society. It's easy to be gone a lot. It's easy to, we have live stream, it's high live stream people. It's a wonderful blessing to have that, but it's easy to be kind of disembodied as a church, you know? But there's value, there's, there's, there's a, a priority to corporate worship for a lot of different reasons. When we gather together corporately, we hear the word of God read and explained. We recite creeds and catechisms of the faith that connect us with the history of the church over generations, over centuries. We reflect and we examine our lives just like we did a few moments ago with the confession of sin. We participate in the ordinances of the church like communion, like we're going to celebrate in just a few minutes. We pray together with one another. We can come and receive prayer if we need that, if we'd like that. We respond in praise to God through song. Worship worship. Corporate worship reorients our minds to ultimate reality. The Word of God cuts through the chaos and the noise, and it reminds us who God is and what God has done and what he is doing in this world and who we are in light of that. The Word of God brings light where there's darkness and clarity where there's confusion. Worship also refocuses our heart's affections. The word of God disarms the threatening enticements of this world and of our flesh, and it exposes the allure of false gods for what they are, empty promises. The word of God stirs in us a longing for the one true God, our creator, our redeemer, and our savior. And worship also reinforces our community of faith. You know, we respond together with our fellow worshipers in faith and in confession and in adoration and in praise. We're reminded that we're not alone in this journey, a notorious lie of our adversary, but rather that God is gathering from every tribe and every tongue and every nation a people that are his own who will worship him for all eternity. And this is just a little picture of what we will enjoy. Greg Beale is a New Testament scholar. He wrote this in a a book titled We Imitate What We Worship. He says, When my two daughters, Hannah and Nancy, were about two or three years old, I noticed how they imitated and reflected my wife and me. They cooked, fed, and disciplined their play animals and dolls just the way my wife cooked, fed, and disciplined them. This is very relatable for me right now. Uh, they gave play medicine to their dolls, just the way that we fed them medicine. Our daughters also prayed with their stuffed animals and dolls, the way we prayed with them. They talked, uh, they talked on their toy telephone with the same kind of Texas accent that my wife uses when she talks on the phone. Most people, I'm sure, have seen this with children. But children only begin what we continue to do as adults. We imitate Most people can think back to their junior high, high school, or even college years when they were in a group, and to one degree or another, whether consciously or unconsciously, they reflected and resembled that peer group. All of us, even adults, reflect what we are around. We reflect things in our culture, in our society. The principle is this, what we revere, we resemble, either for ruin or restoration. To commit ourselves to some part of creation more than the creator is idolatry. And when we worship something in creation, we become like it, a spiritually lifeless and insensitive to God as a piece of wood, rock, or stone. Kind of referencing Isaiah there. Because we imitate what we worship, the regular practice of private and corporate worship will cultivate in our lives a yearning for, a love for, a pursuit of God himself. And in turn, bring about a life that is filled with the presence of God. So that's the first rhythm that we see here. A second important practice that we see in this passage is the importance of remembering. The importance of remembering. You know, as the day went on and the reading of the law continued, The people were cut to the heart with guilt. They were reminded of all the ways that they had failed to keep the law, all the ways that they had forgotten and forsaken God, all their shortcomings, all their failures. As the people listened, it's as they began to weep. And interestingly, when Ezra and Nehemiah and the other leaders noticed this, they stopped the service. It's like if all you guys were crying, we stopped the service. And they told the people not to mourn. They they said to everyone, return home and celebrate to prepare and enjoy the best food that they have and to share with anyone else who didn't have anything prepared so that everyone had something to celebrate with. And they gave a couple of reasons for this. They said, first, to do this because the day was holy. And second, what may be What is most often the most often cited verse in this book, perhaps, uh, is they reminded everyone that the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the people did as they were instructed they went home, they celebrated, they partied, they shared with others in need so everyone could party. And the text notes that they did this with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. What was it that they came to understand that day? What shifted their perspective, in fact, their whole attitude that day from a time of weeping to a time of rejoicing? I think it was this. They were reminded that, yes, they were sinful. They are sinful. They had struggled. They had failed. Their hearts were, were fickle. Their faith was frail. They were guilty of making idols and forsaking God. And they were thinking, I'm sure, of their modern history and the exile that had resulted from from all of that. But they were also reminded of something else. They were reminded that even though they were unfaithful, God was faithful. Even though they were unholy, God was holy. Even though they were ungrateful, God was gracious. Even though they deserved destruction, God gave them mercy time and time and time again. I mean, you think about how many times in the Pentateuch do the people of God just totally blow it? I mean, just totally blow it. Think about it. When the Israelites were captive in Egypt, God sent plague after plague on the Egyptians until Pharaoh finally relented and released them from slavery. Okay, And so then they pack up and they start heading out to the sea. And Pharaoh goes back on his word. He starts chasing them down. But God supernaturally parts the body of water that's in front of them. So the Israelites walk across on dry ground. I mean, miraculous, supernatural deliverance. They walk across on dry ground. They're on the other side. And then the enemies, their pursuers who are in the middle of the water, God collapses the water on them. And they're finally free. And then he guides them onward toward the promised land. He leads them with the physical representation of his presence, with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. He miraculously provides food and water in the desert for them for over a million people. He feeds the, these people. And after all of that, they, had, they get to Mount Sinai. And they had to wait a month because Moses was up on the mountain you know, praying and hearing from God about how the people were to live and all of that. And they they got impatient. They had been there a whole month waiting. Like, come on, God, what is going on? And so they started complaining and they started doubting. And they concluded that they needed to make another God. So they take all their earrings and bracelets and all the stuff, all the gold, they melt it down and they make it in the form of a golden calf. And they start offering sacrifices to it. And now when you read that, you think, like, what are you thinking? Like, you literally just saw the most amazing things, like, human eyes have ever seen before. And you had to wait a month, and you decided to change God's then. Like, that's a bad move, guys. How did God respond to them? Well, he thought about wiping them out. I love the honesty and I love the, he says, Moses, just move out of the way. I'm going to take care of these people. I'm going to make a new nation out of you. And Moses like, Lord, please, you've brought us this far. Please just bear with us. Give us patience. Be patient with us. And he relented. He relented. There were, not that there was not consequence. There was still consequence. Some of the people who led that rebellion paid with their lives. But when Moses went up to make atonement for them, God showed them Mercy. And when the Lord revealed his glory to Moses later on, he described himself as this The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellious, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and the children of the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. He's just but he is merciful and gracious." The people were reminded that day that the purpose of this feast was not to dwell on themselves, it was to dwell on God, and to give thanks to him for his faithfulness and his goodness. And the same is true of the the Feast of Booths that they celebrated later. Here, the people built all these temporary houses, They, they went out and got sticks and all that, built a booth, stayed in it for a week, and it served as a celebration of the harvest for that year, but it also served as a commemoration of God's provision and faithfulness during their transience when they were living in the desert in Egypt. And what was the effect of all of this? The text says that since the days of Joshua, since this all began, since the Exodus itself, the people of Israel had not celebrated the feast in such a way as this. And that they had great joy. The effect was joy. The effect of remembering and trusting God's faithfulness is joy. And joy in God is the key to a life lived for God. The Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. It's one of the Apostle Paul's refrains in his letter to the Philippians. It's this encouragement to continually rejoice. And it makes, you know, it makes me think, he, he says it several times, why would you need to say that over and over again? It's kind of like if you got, your boss sends you a memo and it gives you instructions for this assignment, but he says it like six different times, he or she says it six different times, you're like, you, you might have questions about if they think You're paying attention to your work, right? But that's not Paul's intent here. Rather, the reason for the repetition is emphasis. He wants to emphasize the importance of joy in the life of a Christian. Because joy is both a response to receiving God's grace, but also a discipline in remembering God's grace. So therefore, we have to be earnest in rejoicing. For by it, we remind ourselves and all of those around us what we have received from God. And, of course, the emphasis uh, certainly does speak to the condition of the human heart a little bit, that we, we are prone to forget. We are prone to drift in our focus here. You know, for, uh, for introverts and extroverts, this struggle may manifest differently. I'm, an intro, I'm a 10 out of 10 introvert on the Myers-Briggs, so that tells you a little bit about me. Uh, If I'm ever quiet around you, it's not you, I promise, it's just, that's me. Uh, But as an introvert myself, the way it tends to show up uh, for me is withdrawal and introspection. So when I get overly stuck in my own head and I get my eyes off the Lord, that's when rejoicing becomes more difficult and the picture of God becomes fuzzier. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a famous Welch preacher in London in the mid-20th century, uh, had a series of sermons that turned into a book called Spiritual Depression. And it's a tremendous book. If you haven't read it, I, I commit it to all of you. Uh, but early in this book, he outlines four general causes for what he calls spiritual depression. And the first of those is temperament. And by that, he means th- the kinds of people who tend to overanalyze in general you know will also turn that lens in on themselves and analyze internally a lot and so he writes this he says i suggest that we cross the line from self-examination to introspection when in a sense we do nothing but examine ourselves and when such self-examination becomes the main and chief end in our life we're meant to examine ourselves periodically but if we always if we're always doing it if we're always as it were putting our soul on a plate and dissecting it, that is introspection. And that, in turn, leads to the condition known as morbidity. So he's, he's saying that we, we tend to, if you, you know, if you fall into this category, I know this didn't apply to everyone, but this is a, a tendency for those who may be more introverted, more introspective, a way that we get our eyes off of the Lord, that we forget and we, we look inward and we, we're always carving our soul up, and it leads to this kind of spiritual depression, this disconnectedness from God. And extroverts, I don't know, I'll have to talk to an extrovert about what that looks like for you. But, um, but, but of course, Lloyd-Jones says that the, the true cause beneath these other, this cause and the other causes that he lists there is really unbelief. It's a lack of real trust and hope in God in some area. So we're looking inward instead of looking upward at him. And so therefore, one of the most urgent treatments is to stop listening to yourself all the time and instead to speak to yourself, to remind yourself of the truths of God, the promises of God, the ways God has worked in this world, the the mercy God has shown you. In effect, it's, it's preaching the gospel to yourself. And we call this today cognitive behavioral therapy. It's, you know, it's a similar sort of thing. The, the distorted, unhelpful views of reality have to be replaced with what is true and what's accurate, what's right about God and about self. Often the first step to rejoicing in the Lord again is re remembering the Lord. Re remembering the Lord. When you are tempted to dwell, on your failures and your sins. It is all the more important to remember the faithfulness and the mercy of God. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. But worldly sorrow brings death. Just focusing on ourselves and our failures is that kind of worldly sorrow. There's no redemption, there's no salvation, there's no hope. Instead, when we remember our failures, We then let that memory drive us back to God in repentance and faith, which is what leads to life. It's in remembering God, his promises, his character, his love, his mercy, that our souls are filled with joy in the Lord. And you think they were doing this in Nehemiah's day. Think of how much more we have to remember and to celebrate this side of the cross. How much more do we see the devastating weight of our sin for which Jesus went to the cross? But also, how much more do we see the depth of God's grace and mercy to us in Christ, who gave his life for our forgiveness? William Cooper wrote this hymn, Love Constraining to Obedience, in one of the verses says, how long beneath the law I laid in bondage and distress, I toiled the precept to obey, but toiled without success. But then the chorus, to see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice, transforms a slave into a child and duty into choice. That is the good news of our Savior. Amen. We're going to turn now to remember the Lord's Supper. We do this each week. Um, It's a way for us to, like we were talking about uh, earlier, to practice this discipline of remembering Christ's body broken for us, his blood shed for us, together as followers of Jesus. On the night when uh, Jesus was betrayed, he had a final meal with his disciples, and during that meal he took the bread and he broke it, And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Later on during the meal, he took the cup and and while he was pouring it, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul describes it, he, he says that, as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're remembering what Jesus has done and we're proclaiming it. We're proclaiming it to ourselves and to one another, the good news of the hope that we have in Jesus. A few words of instruction before we get started here. Um, there'll be a, a deacon or an elder up here and here, is a couple of stations, and we'll have a few moments of silence where you can reflect and pray. Uh, and then the band will come back up and we'll have some more music, and during that time you can come forward and receive the uh, the bread and the juice, uh, or if you're more more comfortable kind of self-serving, instead of coming up to someone, there are some packets back there on the welcome table uh, as well. And we have little prepackaged kits, <laughs> so uh, we're using down our stock and then we're probably going to go back to normal bread and juice in a little bit, but we've got like a thousand of those. Uh, <clears throat> so. This is open to anyone who is a a follower of Christ. If you're here and you profess to follow Jesus, you put your trust in him, you're welcome to come and participate in this. And if you're here this morning and you're just working through that and thinking about considering it, thanks for being here. We hope that this has been helpful for you. encourage you to use this time to reflect a little bit. If you'd like to talk about this, I would love to talk with you. Chipper, some of our elders would love to chat with you. Um, Or if you'd like prayer afterwards, Uh, a deacon or an elder will be available back in the lobby to pray with you after communion. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the amazing, amazing gift that you have given us that we do not deserve. Though we are sinful and broken, though we are are forgetful, that we have forsaken you, Lord, you have shown us mercy and grace. How great you are. Thank you, Lord, that you invite us to come and to put off those previous ways of living and to find life and forgiveness and restoration in Christ. Lord, I pray that this morning, would you give us faith as we come to the table, as we remember Christ's body broken and blood shed for us, would it be real for us in our hearts and would you stir us to faith and to transform lives. Lord, our our desire here collectively is to have lives filled with your presence. Would you do that? In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Daylight flees, now the ground beneath quakes as it's made. Peace became sin for us, took the blame for the. Light. This uh,
3: is my life.
5: Thank you for joining us for worship this morning. Um, it's great to get to worship with you. A reminder: if you have not uh, filled out your connection card yet, please do. Please. Am I up here too early? No, no you're not. Okay. You're not at all. Okay. okay. Okay, gotcha. I was like, oh no. (laughs) Uh, All right. (laughs) All right, well. Great. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for uh, worshiping with us. Uh, If you haven't filled out your connection card yet, uh, please do that. We love to hear from you. A great way to get connected. uh, Also, to let us know about prayer requests. You can just drop those in the box on your way out or in the seat back in front of you. Our benediction this morning... Uh, is from Romans 15. Paul writes this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Let's sing the doxology.
3: Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
2: Go in peace.